The Quiet Carriage, the community radio network show all about books and their authors, with your host, Paul J. Laverty. All aboard. Hello and welcome to The Quiet Carriage. I'm here on Jar Jar Run Country on Castlemaine's 94.9 Main FM and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We've got another terrific episode today for you, featuring decorated author and journalist Malcolm Knox. He's discussing his latest novel, Bluebird, which is out now via Alan and Unwin. Let me read a little bit about the novel to you. It's a stunning novel about longing, regret, redemption and the terrible legacy of secrets buried in an Australian beachside suburb. A house perched impossibly on a cliff overlooking the stunning, iconic Bluebird Beach. Prime real estate, yet somehow not real estate at all. The lodge is, like those who live in it, falling apart. Gordon Grimes has become the accidental keeper of this last relic of an endangered world. He lives in the lodge with his wife Kelly, who is trying to leave him. Their son Ben, who will do anything to save him. His goddaughter Lou, who is hiding from her own troubles. And Leonie, the family matriarch, who has trapped them here for their own good. But Gordon has no money and is running out of time to conserve his homeland. His love for this way of life will drive him and everyone around him to increasingly desperate risks. In the end, what will it cost them to hang onto their past? Acclaimed writer Malcolm Knox has written a classic Australian novel about the myths that come to divine families and communities and the lies that uphold them. It's about a certain kind of Australia that we all recognise and a certain kind of Australian whose currency is running out. Change is coming to Bluebird, whether they like it or not, and the secrets they've been keeping and the lies they've been telling can't save them now. A little bit about the author as well. Malcolm Knox was born in 1966. His award-winning novels and non-fiction titles have been published in Australia and internationally. A journalist with the Sydney Morning Herald since 1994, he has won three Walkley Awards for investigative journalism, magazine feature writing and sports journalism, as well as a Human Rights Commission Award. He lives in Sydney with his family. The book itself, aside from being an absolute wonderful book, is an absolute belter of a cover as well. So make sure you check it out. Make sure you check out the Bluebird cover. It is truly beautiful. It's also got uh, some wonderful plaudits, the novel that is, uh, from Christos Chalkis, Adam Gilchrist, Gilly, he's read it as well, and he has some nice things to say about it. Also, uh, some very wonderful words of praise from Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, The Australian, The Guardian, The Saturday Paper, ABC Book Club, and a ton more. So without further ado, here I am in conversation with Malcolm Knox, author of Bluebird. Malcolm Knox, thank you so much for climbing aboard The Quiet Carriage today to talk about your new novel, Bluebird. Thanks, Paul. Good to be aboard. I want to uh, start a bit differently today. I want to talk about the cover, because that is what stood out for me at the very beginning. I was like, I have to read this book. It's such a beautiful cover. Who who is responsible for this, and, and did you have any input? Um, my only input was was the um, the concept. Um, 
The cover is the work of Stuart McLaughlin, who works with Sandy Cole, who's a really well-known um, book cover designer. And yes. My only sort of input into the brief was I wanted something like those beer posters, um, you know, for dinner ale or KB lager um, that were stuck on the outside of pubs um, back from the 1950s. So I wanted that nostalgic um, that nostalgic look, but also something that... that that appeared to be fake nostalgia and, you know, you can see the appealing edges and the sticky tape around the edge of the poster, um, you know, to show you that it's a, it's a, it's a representation of a representation that's not, uh, not to be taken as the real thing. Yes, yes. Well, I definitely think they, uh, they did the job there, definitely. I also loved the book. In, um, I guess, in, in cinema terms, uh, you know, it conjured up images, you, you, might, you might disagree here, but of the, of the big Lebowski through Gordon, oh, the main yeah. character, um, also a bit, of a bit of a dash of the castle as well, maybe even a bit of point break in there too, you know, where, <laughs> where did this story and these, these fantastic characters come from? Yeah, um, I, I have seen The Big Lebowski a few times, and I can imagine Gordon, um, yes. like the dude, shambling around in a, in a dressing gown. <laughs> um, that, that is the spirit of the man. Um, That's good. Look, it, 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 specifically, the characters come from you know people people in my life, I, I suppose. Um, uh, but you know, more than that, driven by the idea of. Uh, Sort of, you know, putting putting everything they've got into keeping myths alive, um, without necessarily questioning how real those myths are, how how worth preserving they are, and what the effort to preserve them will do to the people around you, and and the kind of dredging up those questions and making people confront their myths that that is the, the action of the book. Yes, Bluebird, the setting. Because it's it's a beach setting. It, it seems to be like a, a, a living and breathing organism on these pages, and I, I really wanted to talk about that. Is it a real place? So, and if it's not, where, where is it based upon? Um, it, it's based on a number of, of places. Um, the, the the beach it most closely represents to me is um, Freshwater Beach, which is uh, on Sydney's northern beaches and mm. near where I live and. Freshwater is one of those, you know, really perfect little beaches with a, a small beach with headlands um, enclosing it and all of the, you know, the key elements to a beach being, you know, the ocean baths, uh, the surf club, um, the toilet block, the shower block and all those things um, are enclosed in that beach and, and with that sense of... Um, uh, enclosure is a community and, and uh, an idea where people identify really strongly with this strip of, of sand and mm-hmm. um, there are there are lots of places around Australia that are like that um, uh, but that was the one uh, that sparked it for me. Mm-hmm. It's been a while since I've read a book where the setting plays such a pivotal role how, how important is setting to you as a writer? Normally, normally not as important as it is in this book, but um, the deeper I, I delved into it, um, the more uh, I felt that this, this community, the, um, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty insular and, and inward-looking, and there's a kind of a, um, 
uh, a paradox, but also a relevant thing that, that people can be that inward looking, even though they're part of um, a, a, you know, a large, in this case, a city, um, uh, but it could be a large regional town, um, or it could be a you know, a, a village um, in the in the true sense. But um, for for me, there it's almost although it's in a, a city, you know, say any big city. It's called Ocean City in the book, but it could be could be Sydney, it could be Brisbane, mm. it could be Melbourne, it could be Gold Coast, whatever. Um, there are there are sort of physical boundaries um, by the the setting by the geographic settings that um, become mental boundaries for mm-hmm. for the the residents um, of that area and you know it's not for nothing that in Sydney the the northern beaches are, are nicknamed the Insular Peninsula um, it is a it is a um, a geographically separate um, uh, place and um, you know the geography plays a big part in determining the mentality. Yes. Are, are you a surfer? Do you still surf? Uh, yeah, I am. I, I'm not a good surfer. And I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a lifelong beachgoer, but I only took up board riding um, in my 30s, so so a fairly late um, late uh, arrival. But uh, uh, I, I took it up with great gusto and um, surf, surf a lot, um, more than I should, and <laughs> uh, that has brought me into contact with uh, the the very rich um, culture of surfing, both uh, you know in the sense of uh, you know big time surfing and um, elite surfing, and also um, you know community the, the community who surfs every day. Yes, and I, I love the characters in the book. There was so much depth to to all of them. I found, but Gordon, obviously the main character, is the one that that stood out the most. How similar? Are you to Gordon? Do you do you share elements with the, the with the character? Um, in in the actual circumstances, I'm, I'm not very similar. You know, I haven't haven't had the um, the the kind of double edged uh, luck fall into my lap that happens to Gordon at, at the beginning of this book, and and uh, which is coming into possession of of a house which is um, uh, you know absolute beachfront, but falling down around him and, and he doesn't have the money to keep it up. So all, all, all that circumstance and uh, his wife sleeping with his best friend as, mm-hmm. a, as a kind of means of trying to leave Gordon, uh, none of none of that has happened to me, fortunately. Um, uh, but I think there's a, there's a spirit uh, there where I identify closely with Gordon as an alter ego and um, that spirit consists in part of the kind of sandwich generation um, position he finds himself in. Um, that, that's that's where I am too. Where where you have um, your uh, priorities, you know, very much balanced against um, your uh, your the fact that you're bringing up children and looking after the older generation as well. Um, uh, and, and and also, although I say I'm not a not a um, lifelong. Um, member of a single community, the way Gordon is, uh, even in in my little world, um, there's a lot of that um, uh, sustaining that we do with my oldest friends and, and family and acquaintances. A lot of sustaining that we do through our language, through our in jokes, through our nicknames. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that that effort to keep those precious myths alive. 
Yes. This book, it's a mighty tome. It rocks in, at, I think it's 490 pages. How long does it take you to write something like this? Yeah, um, I, I don't think the length is, is really um, proportionate to the time it takes to write. Some, I've written shorter books that have taken longer. Um, uh, I don't think I've written longer books. Um, this, this might be the longest novel I've done. It was, it was about three years um, in the in the making from right. from go to woe, um, but uh, it's you know some in some ways the um, the work you put in is uh, work that runs against the the length issue. By which I mean um, you worked really hard to make a book. Um, readable and fast-paced, and that might take you as the, as the author an extra six months. Mm-hmm. But the the upshot of that extra six months work is to make the book shorter in the sense um, that it is pacier and and more page turning. And look, I'm not a I'm not a particularly patient reader myself, mm-hmm. and I'm really conscious when I'm writing of um, the need to give the reader um, a reason to, to turn this page and move on to the next page. Um, and I, I always strive to, um, to write for, uh, I guess, for, for a busy person and um, a, a person who wants to, to get on with the, the story. You are listening to The Quiet Carriage on 94.9 Main FM and the Community Radio Network. And now we return to my interview with Bluebird author Malcolm Knox. Yeah, even though it is a big book, it didn't feel like a big book reading it. It sort of breezed by. Um, yeah, well, that's good. That, that, that's sort of what I, what I yeah, hoped for. Yeah, I definitely achieved that. You're a very successful journalist as well. How do you balance writing news, you know, or fact, with with writing fiction on the side? Um, look, I'm not really a um, a news gathering type of journalist. So I was earlier in the career, but um, I, I do more um, sort of flirting with the. <laughs> this doesn't sound very good, but the creative end of uh, journalism, mm-hmm. which, is, which does not mean I'm making anything up, but. I'm, I have a fair bit of license to, um, you know, to use humour and to use anecdote and to, to go a bit left field in my journalism. So it's not a million miles from um, uh, fictional writing. Uh, there's a clear, there's a clear divide, and, and I think I'm still sane enough to, to know the difference between fact and fiction, um, and that that you know that's. That's the, the wall you you can't um, you can't traverse. Um, but uh, look, it's it's not quite as um, different a form of working as it would be for another kind of journalist. You know, for somebody who is really forensic uh, or reporting um, on uh, a news round and doing factual stuff every day. There, there, I think it would be a real. Um, leap and using completely different parts of your brain. But for me, my, my journalism is a, a bit more loose in nature and loose and liberated. Yes. And which job do you prefer? Uh, um, if, 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 if I had to 
you know, if I was told <laughs> I had to give one up, um, yeah. it would sort of have to be um, fiction writing because of the, the need to, to um, support a family and to contribute to you know the, the material well-being of the people around me. But because uh, fiction doesn't really pay, um, but if it was down to my preference, if I could do um, either, um, it, it would certainly be fiction that, that has always defined defining my drive to work um but uh yeah fortunately i don't have to choose yes and do you get many stories from your from your media work oh not as many as i as i get just from ordinary life from um from the people the people i mix with or the people i come across um uh in in my you know daily daily wanderings um that that's a much more rich source than uh, journalism because the, the journalism I do nowadays is fairly um, uh, focused on on the sports world and that's just the role I've been given um, for the last few years by, by the Sydney Morning Herald and um, I, no I, I wouldn't really say I, I draw a lot from from maps or fiction writing. Mm. You've got some wonderful testimonials in your book and it does seem you're part of quite a quite a tight-knit writing community. I mean, you've got uh, Christos Cholkis, several other writers who, who've, who are mentioned in your book. How important is that? Is that to you as a writer? Um, yeah, it is important because I don't come from a, a writing background. Uh, my, I've got a bunch of, of close friends um, who have absolutely nothing to do with uh, the book world at all, and uh, most of them don't really read much. Um, my family, some of them read a bit, some of them don't at all. Um, they're not part of that uh, community at all. Um, so in the case of this book where I, where I really needed help with um, people to read early drafts and, and give me uh, helpful advice, um, I had to go to people I know who are you know, who have some sort of uh, expertise in, in the art and craft of it. And people like Chris Soss and, and Michael Robotham um, and uh, um, John Edwards, who's a film guy, mm. uh, and, and John Kasimir, they were, they were the four first people who, who read um, the drafts. They're all people who work in story and you know, different kinds. Um, uh, and yeah, they, they are very important to you when um, your actual friendship, your inner circle of friendship, um, don't really have much to do with books. Mm, mm. And what is your writing routine like? Um, it, it depends, uh, you know, varies through the year, depends on other commitments, depends on what else I'm working on. But luckily, uh, you know, I've been working from home well before. COVID and uh, dictating dictating my own timetable. Um, I don't have a have a set routine where you know I get up at a at uh, you know six o'clock and start writing for two hours and have a you know thirty minute break and then write for another two hours or anything like that. Um, I, I usually, if I'm in the novel writing mode, um, I just sort of go with it. And that can mean doing sort of blocks of four or five intense hours um of work in a day and i'll just keep going with that if i can uh until that particular draft or phase is finished um uh but yeah i i i used to have more st 
strict routines, um, but that was before children came along, and you know when they when they become the main priority, your um, you know your your hours are uh, your writing hours have to move around their hours. Yeah. <laughs> and what about reading habits? What do you like to read? Yeah, I, I'm a pretty um, pretty dedicated reader uh, even even while I'm writing I know a lot of uh, novelists don't read a lot while they're they're composing a book um, uh, I you know read readings really um, at, at the very heart of my existence so I do read for two to three hours every day um, and uh, right at the moment I've been I've been doing a lot of rereading of, of old books just to Old favourites from twenty or thirty years ago to see if they to see if they stand up. Um, right. I don't know why I started that, but it, it did coincide with the start of the pandemic period. So maybe it's all part of that um, that phase of kind of reflection and um, and inner focus that uh, a lot of us are going through. Yeah, that's true. I just picked up um, Hemingway, A Movable Feast, for the first time in years, and yeah, it's it's maybe it is the pandemic that's allowing us to do that. I don't know. What? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what's what's next for you after this? Um, I don't really know. Um, I'm, I'm taking a bit of a break because I had a I had a very busy um, last. I don't know. I say year, but it might be busy last two or three years. Um, so I'm sort of spending a month or a month and a half forcing myself not to not to. Um, work because uh, I also know I've got a few different projects coming up ahead um, uh, novel writing look I'm always tooling around with something either in the head or, or on the page and I am at the moment but I say that without um, any great confidence that what I'm working on will turn into anything because I, I do um, start a lot of novels that, that I don't finish and Work at them for a certain way um, before they just fizzle out. So, uh, you know, for, for me, um, for, for every novel I've published, there have always been two or three that, uh, that just died somewhere along the way. Is that right? Wow. Okay. How much? How much time would you have spent on these? <laughs> A lot, a lot. Right. But, you know, you, you, it's it's one it's one activity that you can't think about in terms of efficiency. Um, uh, that way, madness lies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, Malcolm, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Quiet Carriage today. Your name's Malcolm Knox. Your book is Bluebird. It is out now via Allen and Unwin. Could you leave us with a song selection? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was thinking of something that uh, really suits the, the, the mood of, of uh, Gordon um, in Bluebird. And um, the song that came to mind is a song by uh, The National, um, and it's called Pink Rabbits. I love The National. Great choice. Malcolm, thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Paul. Good to talk to you. I 
Somebody said you disappeared in a crowd I didn't understand that I don't understand that Am I the one you think about When you're sitting in your fainting chair Drinking pancreas Am I the one you think about When you're sitting in your fainting chair Drinking pancreas When everybody was gone Stand in the street Cause you're trying not to crack up It wasn't like a rain It was more like a sea I didn't ask for this pain It just came over me I love a stone But I don't love lightning And no, all no, the water's coming up So fast it's frightening And I what you think about When you're sitting in your fainting chair Drinking pancreas Rabbits there by The National, and that was a song selection of Malcolm Knox, the author of Bluebird, out now via Alan and Unwin. And that is all we have time for today, sadly. I've been your host, Paul J. Laverty. I'm across all the socials under that name. You can listen to me Fridays from 1pm on Castle Main's 94.9 Main FM. I'm also on mainfm.net and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. And you can also listen to all previous episodes on Spotify and all good podcast platforms. Until next time, keep reading.